it gets back to not being afraid of the safe practice of fermentation and really enjoying all the benefits it can bring to you, whether it's you know, preserving a little bit of your local harvest, whether it's, you know, using some scraps that would have gone otherwise into the garbage and, and making a new food, whether it's composting or, or just any of these pieces and then discovering those flavors. So just don't be afraid and you've got this. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning, Mom. How are you doing today? Hi. Really great. It's a beautiful day out. We're so glad that we got the sheep sheared yesterday. Um, if not, they would have been very uncomfortable today because they had a whole year's worth of growth on them. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're so cute. We'll have to add those photos to our highlights in our Instagram stories so you guys can see. They look just look so cute with their haircuts. I know. And you know they feel so happy and cool. They're so fun. But anyway, well, I was thinking about our episode today, which is about fermentation. And I was buzzing around doing all of my things, and I just realized how much of what I'm doing actually has to do with fermentation. Uh, how much of like what you're doing around the farm? Yeah, and stuff? like what? What I'm doing, what I was doing this morning. Like for one thing, um, I got out my sourdough starter um, to make a sponge so I can make some bread for tomorrow. Yeah, sourdough. We've been doing sourdough, um, all sourdough stuff in the almanac this month that's like this month's activity focus we all started a starter together which was fun I had never done that um and we had a little show and tell this week we got to hear everyone's stories about their sourdough it was great yeah it was really fun making your own sourdough starter can be a real adventure I had never done it before but anyway I found myself with plenty of sourdough discard and sourdough starter so there's been a lot of baking around here lately um bread crackers, even cake. Yum. What kind of cake? It was actually a sourdough chocolate cake, which sounds odd, but you don't taste the sour at all. Um, it's just a really creative and nutritious way to use your discard. Um, it's also a really creative and nutritious way to eat chocolate cake. Yeah. And so I also made some amazing lemon kefir which is one of my very favorite kefir flavors. Um, when it's all thickened up and cold, it tastes just like lemon curd. Oh my gosh, it is out of this world. Can you explain for anyone listening who might not know what kefir is, what, what it is? Also, I think sometimes, or maybe it's supposed to be kefir, 
but we definitely just say kefir because we're southern. I think <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> you can say it either way, but from its um, origins in the area that is now Turkey, I think it started out as kefir. In other parts of the world, it's referred to as kefir, but we say kefir. Anyway, kefir is a cultured milk product, and you put the culture what we they're called grains in the milk for like 24 hours or so and it thickens up it's very similar tasting to yogurt it's a little more liquid than yogurt it's like a drinkable yogurt and it's so nutritious and super high in probiotics and it's you can flavor it up any way and it's really just a dream and it's a very much a staple in our diet here yum i love it so much it's one of those things that it just feels so good in your body to to drink it. Yeah, it's actually a living food, a live food, unlike many of the things yeah. we eat these days. But We have a kefir workshop coming up. So if you're at all interested in this and you want to know more about it and you, you might even want to make your own at home, um, well, guess what? You can do that. May 19th, which is in just a couple of weeks, we're having an online kefir workshop. This workshop is free for Almanac members. So if you're listening to this and you're an Almanac member, all you have to do is RSVP at the link in the Almanac for the event. And then with your RSVP, we'll know to send you a link. Everyone else, you do not have to be an Almanac member to come, but it is $15. You can sign up through our website. Um, and yeah, $15 you will learn all about kefir, all about making it, and um, this this food is so life-giving, and it's just such a wonderful little investment in your health. I really want everyone to come. It's going to be amazing. Yes, it's well known as um, a wonderful immune system booster as well, so that's good to yeah, know these Yeah, it's great days. for your gut, your yeah. gut biome, your gut health. Those are big things right now. Um, so what else are you fermenting? Well, I'm also working in my indigo vat today. And indigo involves a process of fermentation, unlike other natural dyes, because I'm dyeing a whole bunch of stuff for our pop-up coming up later this month. Yes, you keep just queuing me up, like, to you just keep, yeah. like, T-ball, like, <laughs> you're queuing me up for fun things. So we've got, what do we have? We have our, well, our sourdough, that's just an announcement in the almanac. We have our kefir workshop coming up. We have a indigo pop-up in the online marketplace, May 25th and 26th, with all things that Mary's been dying here on the farm, as you're talking about with your fermented indigo vat. We've got some summer scarves, napkins, socks, what else? Maybe some baby onesies. Yes, and a couple of indigo dyed quilts um, designed and sewn by the amazingly talented Grace Bryan. Mm -hmm. I dyed the They're pieces so and she put them all together. They're yeah. like art pieces. Yeah, they could literally hang on your wall or be on your bed equally. They're so beautiful. Yeah, and the reason we're doing this as a pop-up is because it's just super limited quantities because you can only do so much. Um, and so we just want to – it's a quick little – just be just be on on call the twenty fifth and twenty sixth. Um, if you're on our mailing list, you'll be you'll get alerted. And also, if you're following us on social media, you'll know um, at We Are Lady Farmer for our Indigo pop up. So be looking for those things: Kefir Workshop, Indigo pop up, and don't forget. Oh my gosh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Also, <laughs> we have a, a dye workshop coming up in June um, that mom will also be teaching. And we'll tell you more about that. We don't want to overwhelm you right now, but just be excited about it's not an indigo dyeing workshop. We're doing another type of natural dyeing. But come to the Kiefer workshop, see how you like it, which you will love it, and then and then come back and join us for our dye workshop in June. We'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. Yeah. But I want to introduce our guest. We have the wonderful Kirsten Shockey of Ferment Works. Kirsten and her husband, Christopher Shockey, are the co-authors of The Big Book of Cider Making, Fiery Ferments, Best-Selling Fermented Vegetables, and the award-winning Miso, Tempa, Natto, and Other Tasty Ferments. And also coming out, like, really soon is the book Home Brewed Vinegar, How to Ferment 60 Delicious Varieties, including carrot, ginger, beet, brown banana, pineapple, corn cob, honey, and apple cider vinegar. My mouth is salivating just thinking about all these delicious vinegars and it's a beautiful book we were sent a little preview and we got to flip through it and I'm just very excited for this book so look out for home brewed vinegar by Kirsten Shockey Kirsten and her husband got their start in fermenting foods 20 years ago on their 40 acre small holding where they raised their children and this grew into an organic food company and as their business evolved, they realized that their passion was more for the process. And so they chose to focus on teaching fermentation to others and were teaching worldwide classes and hosting workshops on their homestead in Southern Oregon, but have moved their teaching online, like many others, to their fermentationschool.com. This is a newly developed collaborative teaching platform that brings together a whole community of instructors, students, and practitioners of the magical arts of fermentation. So if you're excited about fermenting in any form, if you're new to fermenting, if you're an experienced fermenter and you just love listening to people talk about fermenting, this episode is for you. It's wonderful. Kirsten is just a joy to be with, and we're so excited to share this with you. Uh, enjoy. I'm the daughter of an anthropologist and I grew up all over the world really and spent some time on an island in Indonesia, spent some time in Germany as a school kid, I spent some time in Holland as he was researching there. I have this background of his way with raising us is you just don't say no to anybody that offers you any food <laughs> and also so just experiencing a lot of food that you know probably I wouldn't have had I been in so I think that really is part of when I was a young mother, I really felt like I needed to dig in and ground myself in a home. You know, I, I was always changing schools and, you know, felt like I was never part of the cool kids. You know, once yeah. a new kid gets boring, then they're just not in the crowd. <laughs> I feel like that was a, a huge piece to wanting to get a place on the land. I ended up homeschooling my kids and I really wanted them to have a grounding. I wanted them to know where their food was coming from. Yeah, we've got uh, 40 acres in the mountains and it's not farmland, but it's a great little 
you know, small holding or homestead piece. And so we have tons of fruit trees. We really like uh, perennials and we did the whole animal thing with the kids, but now we just have a lot of retired animals that we're still feeding and harvesting their poop for the garden. Yeah, <laughs> we know about that. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a very organic evolution. I was the person that was canning before canning was hip and I you know, had to can everything and I loved seeing all those little jars line up and at some point my mom got me a Christmas present. It was an antique crock and it was filled with fermenting cabbage in it. And it's like smelling and you know <laughs> wafting out <laughs> fermenty smells and it's funny because I thought for the whole time I've been talking about our first book which came out in 2014 I've been saying oh that was the beginning of my fermentation journey and I didn't realize wait a minute you know we moved to this property with these heirloom apple trees you know that are 100 years old and so we were making cider right away and and we were making milk right away and you know vegetables did come a little bit later but the language wasn't there the way it is now with fermentation and so I knew I was fermenting, but I was culturing the yogurt, right? And we were fermenting the cider into basically apple wine. But for some reason, it didn't make that connection to me that that's what we were doing. So beginning of the vegetables was that crock. And it took a few years, like at first, it was just cabbage that we made. But then we understood that, oh, wait a minute, all these vegetables that we're growing are so much more nutritious, like we're adding nutrient density, we're adding life to these wonderful things we've already grown that have so much life instead of killing it all to put it in a beautiful jar. <laughs> They're still in beautiful jars. They just have to hang out in the fridge <laughs> a little bit more. So I think that was very organic. And along with that, my husband, Christopher, had a corporate job. And that was what allowed us to sort of do this with the kids. And that felt crummy like the whole time. We just kept dreaming of the family homestead and all working together. And, you know, it's just very bucolic and very unrealistic, you know, because health insurance and on and on and on. And it was actually a big aha at one point when I read something somewhere that was basically like so many of these homestead farmers, you know, back in the day, they did have those jobs as the local blacksmith also, you know, their off-farm income was nothing new. But in still trying to do that, that's when we created our fermentation business. And we were doing fermented vegetables before it was very cool. And so, you know, people would come to the stand ready to taste. They thought maybe jams, but it was beet kraut. <laughs> and, and from that, we started teaching classes because people wanted to understand these foods. You know, like I said, talking now, you know, 12, 12, 13 years ago. From there, that's when Christopher said we should write a book. I'm like, oh there's already a book out there. There was one. <laughs> he was like, well, there's only 16 pages on vegetables. You've got so much more. We could say so much more about vegetables. And so fast forward to now, it was not something that was planned journey. And here we are. <laughs> well, how you, you were kind of doing it without even really knowing what you're doing or where you were going with it. That's so exciting. Maybe, you know, we can all kind of take that as a lesson. Like it's not labeled anything. We're just moving in a direction and voila. <laughs> yeah. And I still don't know where I'm going. Like there's no plan. It's yeah. <laughs> going to be what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm enjoying this and I'm loving it. And, yeah. and I feel like now that the kids are grown up, it's fulfilling other parts of me that are important. Like I think I mentioned food systems and, and good food and healthy soil is so important to me. And I feel like people getting their hands into a jar of cabbage, if that's 
their way of just kind of connecting with the microbial world around us and kind of seeing that magic work on their counter is a start. And so I feel really good about that because it's allowing me to kind of still do things that are important to me in a really positive way. Yeah. And, you know, even in the time since you wrote your first book in 2014, so much has been learned and communicated to the general public about the microbial system and the health benefits and all of this. It's a very, very old science, but it's presented to us and consumers as, you know, something we haven't been familiar with before, except you, you've been doing it for a long time. Well, yeah, but I mean, Christopher really monitors like the new studies that come out. And I mean, it, it's e evolving and changing so quickly. Yes. I mean, when the microscopes got to see things that were smaller and, you know, there's just so many scientists out there like exploring these just smallest parts of how we're working and it. It's yeah. constantly evolving and it's so fascinating. I mean, so much has happened in just even the last 10 years, so much. So a lot more people understand now what fermentation is, but you know, it's still not as common knowledge as a lot of things. So some of our listeners today might, might not really understand what we're talking about when we say fermentation. They might say, oh yeah, I like pickles, <laughs> or they might be just very new to it. So we we're going to ask you, how do you explain it very basically? What's your elevator speech about fermentation? I digress just a moment, but we've been looking at SEO and we mm -hmm. saw, <laughs> it was much to our dismay, about 400 people a month search throughout the world on learn to ferment, oh, <laughs> whereas a million no. people search on air fryers. So I think the question of what is oh, fermentation, yeah. you know, for those of us that hang out in it, we're like, oh yeah, everybody's yeah. got it now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think you're right. I think it's still not, shall we say mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, fermentation is uh, it's so many things in a way to so many people, but at its core, it's a microbial transformation. Um, it is, if you take a cabbage or you take apple juice with the cabbage is lactobacillus or with the apple juice, it's yeast, start to eat those sugars and starches, they start to break it down. And in doing so, they're transforming it. They're transforming it into something else. I like to think of it as working with a million little tiny chefs oh. in your project, right? And they're they're making flavor. They're breaking down those starches to be more bioavailable to our bodies so that we do uptake the, the nutrients more. They're adding nutrients to it. Like for that cabbage, your vitamin C goes up. For that cider, yes, you're you are getting alcohol, but, you know, especially in these, these low alcohol ciders, you are still getting probiotics and you're still getting, you know, these esters and all these things that are important for our bodies to eat. And so it's something I think that's scary to people because we have grown up with germ theory and, you know, which is hugely important, but we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater and started sterilizing anything, everything. And these foods are live. Those microbes are still in there. They've left their imprint on it. And throughout human history until, you know, about 100, 150 years ago, humans never ate anything that wasn't alive. You know, sterile food wasn't part of our diet anywhere on the planet. And so I think I'm going further into the question than you asked, but I think coming around to these That's foods great. is what we need, what our bodies need. And, and just now it's being discovered. It's like, oh, wow, we are more microbe DNA than 
human DNA and they are taking care of us. We need to take care of them. And part of that is through these foods. Yes. I wonder if you wouldn't mind going a little bit more into the bioavailability thing because try to explain that and you get sort of a blank stare. People, how can something become more nutritious just because you're leaving it in salt? So in many cases, it's a breakdown, right? And there's these things called enzymes and enzymes are also kind of one of these things that are, I think, hard for people to understand unless they have a little bit of a biology background. Um, they just exist. They're not alive like the microbes are, but they have a function. They're a protein. They're denatured at like 150 to 165 degrees, somewhere in there. And along with the microbial stuff, you've got also these enzymes. So what's happening is you've got these larger molecules, say the starch, right? And they're being broken down. And so that larger molecule of starch, it might pass through your system without your body being able to get the nutrient out of it or the protein or, or whatever it is. But when the fermentation has broken it down, it's in these smaller parts. And with those smaller parts, it now goes through your system and your body can say, oh, I can use that, right? It's now available. So that's why it's really important that we do things. I mean, even soaking our beans for 24 hours, we don't think of it that way. We think of it just hydrating our beans, but actually there's lactobacillus in there and it's a first fermentation. We're starting to break those beans down so that we can digest them, which as everybody knows with beans, you know, sometimes that can be troubling to digest. And that's when you get you know, the bloating or whatever, that is your body not being able to digest things in the way that it should. And so that's where that bioavailability comes in. It's just saying this is, it's breaking it down, it's transforming it, it's changing it so that we can uptake those nutrients when they pass through. And interestingly enough, fiber is such a huge piece of all this and we don't get enough fiber in our modern western diet you know it's it's another piece that's really hard for folks to digest if their systems have gotten really out of whack and so for example with sauerkraut you can ferment it in such a way that that fiber in there is broken down enough that it's going to be a little calmer on your system and then some people are so depleted in their gut microbiome that even, you know, cooked sauerkraut or something where the probiotic have died, the little mm -hmm. microbial bodies are still in there, they can, that can be too much for them. So there's just a spectrum of what we can tolerate. But for most people, <laughs> they start small, they eat a little bit of these foods and they start feeling better because they're getting more energy. They're getting more food for their body. Better nourished. Mm-hmm. So we find that a lot of people are often confused about the difference between fermentation and pickling. Would you like to explain that a little bit? And why is it that when you buy your sauerkraut from the grocery store shelf, it's not the same as when you make it at home and it ferments? That is a good question because it is a lot of where the confusion is. Okay. Before Kirsten tells us what this confusion is all about, we want to take just a couple of minutes to tell you about our new partner, Plain Products. 
This is a company all of you zero waste fans and slow living enthusiasts will want to know about. They make bath and beauty products, and we were so happy when we found them a few years ago because we were first drawn to their incredibly conscious packaging. They've got shampoo, conditioner, moisturizers, cleansers, all in reusable aluminum bottles, even the caps. And when you're finished with a bottle, they send you a replacement, and you simply send your empties back in the same cardboard box with the shipping label that they've provided. It's so seamless and simple, and it feels so good to not throw anything in the trash or recycling, especially since it's so hard to know whether or not things are actually getting recycled. I love it when I receive my refills in the cardboard container. No shrink wrap, no packing peanuts, no massive pile of waste. We know so many of you feel the same way we do about the crazy amount of plastic that seems to be unavoidable everywhere you look, so it feels really good to skip all of that with plain products. It's not just the packaging we love. Everything is free of sulfates, parabens, phthalates, silicone, and palm oil, and it smells so good. They're blended with whole essential oils, contain vegan and non-GMO ingredients. They're designed to biodegrade, baby-safe, and hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, and of course, free of single-use plastic. And you're probably wondering, okay, this sounds great. Does it actually work? Well, I'm being completely honest when I say that this is the best shampoo and conditioner I've ever used. I love the smell. I love the way it leaves my hair so soft and shiny. I have the rosemary mint vanilla, and it's super refreshing and sweet. I love the way it smells. They also have citrus lavender and an unscented version, uh, and they're all blended with whole essential oils and no synthetic fragrances, so you can feel good about that. And I love the citrus lavender shampoo and conditioner. But when it comes to the body lotion, the rosemary mint vanilla is delightful. I have really dry skin, so between the fact that it's not in a plastic bottle and it smells divine, I don't hold back. So yeah, plain products. It's a wonderful selection of products that work, and we are so excited to offer you, our Good Dirt listeners, 20% off your first order with the code LADYFARMER. Yes, so go to plainproducts.com and use the code LADYFARMER, all one word, for 20% off your first order. So the definition of pickling is to acidify something, right? So in the case of the pickles that we get in the grocery store, they're acidified by vinegar. We've added acid and that's acidified the pickle. And that can be anything. It can be eggs. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are pickled, right, by adding an acid to them. Fermentation is actually a form of pickling. So if you think of pickling as sort of the larger art or technique or whatever you want to call it, fermentation is one of the tools in that toolbox, if you will. But the difference is you're not acidifying by adding any kind of acid to it, whether it's citric acid or vinegar or fill in the blank. It is acidifying by the process of the microbes, acidifying it for you. So I guess I should back up here. What's going on when we put our ferments into the jar, right? And, and I'm talking about lactic acid fermentation at the moment. We make this perfect environment. It's a little bit salty. The salt helps stave off any bacteria that we don't want to grow. We are submerging things, everything in an anaerobic environment that again is less about the lactobacillus and more about keeping out the competitors and keeping it safe because some of the things that we don't want like molds and some of the yeasts and, and other things, they need that oxygen. So we've got our environment, right? We've got our cabbage, it's been salted, it's been pressed, the little brine is over it and it is ready to go. It's in a nice comfy environment and those 
lactobacillus are going to start consuming those starches. You can assume those sugars and as they do they create two things they create the acid and the co2 the co2 is the bubbling that you'll see when you ferment something so you know unlike canning where people would never want to see a bulging lid if you've got your lid on tight your ferment and you see a bulging lid you're like all right babies are working <laughs> so that's the difference, the activity of the fermentation is creating that acid. And so a fermented pickle, we call it a lacto-fermented pickle instead of a vinegar-fermented pickle, just to kind of avoid the confusion, but it's all pickling. <laughs> that is fascinating and a really important distinction and yet connection to make is that all fermenting is pickling, but then under that umbrella, you have kind of the different processes that are happening. Can you talk to us a little bit about vinegar and maybe tell us a bit about your upcoming book? Yes. So I don't hate vinegar. Those people that <laughs> listen to me talk about lactic fermentation forever <laughs> might think I'm a vinegar hater, but vinegar is super cool. I've got an upcoming book, Homebrewed Vinegar, that comes out in May of 2021. Cute story behind the book is that it was a chapter in our cider making book that got kicked out. So Christopher, my husband and I write books together and I was working on the vinegar chapter because I like to take the our cider and make it into apple cider vinegar. And when I dropped it into the manuscript, it was one fifth of the whole book. And he kind of rolled his eyes. And then we sent it off to the, the editor who about two weeks later, we got email with a line that said, we need to talk about vinegar. <laughs> so I knew oh. the vinegar chapter got kicked out of the cider making book but it was kind of great because it opened it up to other things besides apples and so in this book I really had a lot of fun I worked with you know vinegar out of sweet potatoes I worked with vinegar out of brown bananas there's a whole chapter on scrap vinegars and, and using you know peels like citrus peels or whatever to make these wonderful tasty vinegars. Now, I know you guys are interested in, you know, of course, the health benefit and apple cider vinegar has like all kinds of wonderful things about it. And with the scrap vinegars, you know, I don't know if that's all the same, like you're getting a lot of nutrition, whether you're getting the same as apple cider vinegar, who knows, but you're getting wonderful flavors and you're having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm like salivating, even just thinking like all the things you're naming. I'm like, mm. yeah, the, the purple sweet potato vinegar, the color is just the best. And I make a hibiscus vinegar again, oh. beautiful color, wonderful flavors. And like is common with, you know, the books that I write, I try to teach people the process and then give them the freedom and the tools to then do whatever they want to do. And there's plenty of recipes, but not just follow the recipes. But one of my favorites is the citrus scrap vinegar. And part of the reason is, is one is you've got, you know, all that flavor on the zests and the last little bit of juice or whatever after you've squashed it or whatever, <laughs> eaten the grapefruit. And I find that I can use that in place of fresh lemon juice in a recipe. Oh. You know, if it, it calls yeah. for a squeeze of lemon juice and you just need that acid to brighten up the meal. This works just mm -hmm. as well. And you don't need to run to the store and get lemons or get lemons out of season when they're like super expensive. And it's just mm -hmm. a really wonderful oh. way. And, and vinegar is one of our oldest ferments. You know, all humans in all cultures have made vinegar and used it for all kinds of things because that acid is so important for preservation. Wow. 
It's a beautiful book too. We've we've been able to preview copy. Awesome. And I really do love how it is laid out where you do have the recipes as you said, but you really it's just all of the information is there and the science and the it's really broken down so well and clear that it it feels kind of like a toolkit in a book. It's like, "Oh, I can take this and and adapt it and really actually understand what's happening instead of just kind of following a recipe blindly. It is so beautiful. I can't wait to hold it in my hand. The whole thing about fermentation in this vinegar book, there's so many things you could just so easily just drop into a jar of vinegar and it makes this beautiful thing and this flavorful thing. And it just seems so fun. Go out in your garden and say, oh, I'm going to throw this in vinegar and see how it turns out. Is that how you get these recipes? (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) So a little bit about vinegar history in the Middle Ages. They really didn't know what was going on, right? How this was made. They didn't know. There was different ideas um, because there's the mother, you know, the the pellicle that's on top. Some people thought it was maybe a mushroom or, or, you know, just they didn't know. But at some point, they figured out that oxygen made it go a little faster. And so they would fill barrels, you know, think of the wooden wine casks, they'd fill them partway full of the grapevines, you know, the the twigs, and they pour the wine that was becoming vinegar through this. And they figured out that oxygenation along with that contact with these vines that were now full of the acetic bacteria made the vinegar process go a little bit faster. And all that to say, in the book, there's a Borhov method, um, because he was the guy that really started doing this. And in the book, I have a kitchen counter Borhov. So you fill two jars with stuff. And when I I'm done harvesting basil or, you know, you can use fig leaves or whatever. But I really love the sort of, again, that scrap of still using those basil stems. So I'll shove a bunch of basil stems in two jars. I can add a little vinegar to kind of culture it, if you will, or not. It will happen regardless because it's bacteria are all in the the basal stems and in the air. And then you fill one jar up full and you fill one jar up partially full with your cider. And then you pour them back and forth on each other in about 10 to 14 days instead of a few months, you're going to have a really nice basil vinegar. I think that's the the fun that I really started having with, with this book is like going beyond, I mean, vinegar is a fermentation where you do alcohol you have to have the alcohol because the acetic backer eat alcohol so going beyond just starting with finished alcoholic ferments and taking them on but then starting to play with really what you can do with it and looking at all the twigs and the stems and the flavors that are on on our farm yeah as potential delicious something delicious Mm -hmm. (laughs) everywhere you look for sure. Yeah, once you start thinking that way, and especially with vinegar, anything can be made into vinegar. Sometimes you need to add sugar, but anything can be made into vinegar. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't wait. <laughs> Will the vinegar be your fourth book now? Fifth, yeah. Fifth book, okay. And then you have an online school community. Can you tell us about your work there and, and what you teach? Yeah, absolutely. 
with the books and the kids growing up, what came to be was I was traveling around the country teaching fermentation. And last year, about this time, as with everybody else, <laughs> we were absolutely <laughs> grounded. And Christopher and I have wanted for years to do online classes to reach more people, you know, just to really try to get that number up of people understanding fermentation and really taking just a little step towards their own food systems and, and what's going on around them. And, and really online is a much better way to do that than, you know, me sitting on an airplane and, and being able to reach whoever can come to a, an event. But you know, between just travel and the idea of being in front of a camera. We had talked about it for three or four years and it went nowhere, but enter COVID and lockdown and we had time <laughs> to yeah <laughs> learn how to use, use a video camera and all of that. And so it, it just started out as, okay, like we're going to have to pivot our income as everybody else is doing. And it became this wonderful opportunity to do that. But then as I started thinking about it, traveling, I I'm, have a lot of fermentation friends and we'd see each other at different events in different parts of the country or whatever. And I realized there's, there's so many people doing so many wonderful things instead of just having my little school and them having their little online platform and, and all of that, wouldn't it be cool to have a fermentation school, almost a marketplace where mm -hmm. really get um, experts in these fields. And so we started fermentation school and that's what we call it, fermentationschool.com. And right now there are three of us, myself, a woman in Atlanta who's doing a class on mud cloth where you ferment the mud to make a dye, cloth dye, which is wow. really cool. Oh and another friend of mine from Asheville, North Carolina, who is involved deeply in the fermentation under soils and farming and butchery and all of that. And she's got a number of wonderful online butchery, well, charcuterie classes and, and different things like that. And so I've got a woman that's working on some sourdough. So we're going to really have you know, a full set of, of courses. And I really love the idea too of then bundling things together, you know, like at some point we'll have gardening classes and soil science classes and composting classes because really all of this is fermentation mm -hmm. and just really making those connections where people might not have realized they exist. So, and then the other piece to that is, you know, it's a cooperative. We want to be able to take part of the profits and have a fermentation education fund where we are able to give scholarships where accessibility is available for anybody that wants these classes and also I'd love to give grants like if somebody writes to us and says you know we want to teach fermentation to kids in this location and we need you know just a small grant to buy bulls cabbage knives and cutting boards or whatever mm -hmm. I'd love to be able to then you know support those kind of things and kind of let that web keep growing oh that sounds so wonderful yeah. I can't wait to watch it grow and ferment yeah exactly <laughs> the metaphor is just you know rich everywhere yes. oh my <laughs> gosh yeah I want to ask you do you ferment dairy are you a fan of of kefir and different kinds of cheeses and I am. So when we had the kids and the farm animals, I was a cheesemaker every single day for a number oh, of years. Wow. The kids would bring up the milk and I found that it was much easier to ferment it 
into cheese and different things immediately because it was exactly the right temperature instead of cooling it off first and then warming it back up. So yeah, I, I had a number of years where I was doing a lot of cheese making and yogurt making and culturing butter and, and all of that. And I admit that there's no kids here milking animals. And so... <laughs> For a while, I dreamed of a dairy. And then when I realized that the milking staff was growing quickly and headed to college. So um, once in a while, I get my hands on some raw milk and I still, you know, do that. But there are also a lot of wonderful people doing these amazing ferments. So I also like to support them. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We're big kefir fans over here. And, you know, I discovered it, I don't know, five or six years ago. That was probably where I got into fermentation was learning about kefir. And it's been a, a big challenge to find a legal raw milk source, but we have that now. And, oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Cow shares are legal here in Virginia, not in Maryland or DC, obviously, but, um, yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's, that's great. Get around it. Yeah, each state is very uniquely different in what's yeah. what's allowed and what isn't uh, across the board. I mean, even with vegetable fermentation, some states it's really easy for somebody to start up a little fermentation company because it is mm -hmm. so safe. And I guess it hasn't come up for your listeners that are new to the idea of fermentation. Um, you know, vegetable fermentation especially is so safe and nobody's yeah. died of it. And <laughs> you know it's bad when it's bad. There's no hidden lurking, hidden botulism hiding out in there. And so... Right. But some states don't know that. Yeah. It's not mainstream enough for them to have policy about it. It's not right. like not even on the radar. And we have a friend, she's, she was on one of our podcasts about a year ago, in fact, telling this story of trying to do a fermentation business and they had to go to the health department and, and explain. And, you know, those people were saying, what, what are you talking about? No, you, you know, <laughs> you can't do that. And to like teach the health department yes, about it, it was really probiotics. It's a good story. <laughs> But, yeah, I've um, heard lots of stories where the pioneers in the in the state are working mm -hmm. hard. <laughs> so, a funny story. My dad is a medical doctor. He practiced for like forty years or whatever. You know, not too sure about all the the fermentation and jokingly, but half seriously, he says I teach people how to make rotten vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's totally it. It's controlled rot. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, education is such a big part of it. But to underscore what you just said, everyone out there, it is safe. It is really safe. And for me personally, I do a whole lot more fermenting than I do like canning. You know, I'm a little hesitant. I'm just like, am I going to do this right? And when I can, it's usually in a group so I can have help and people looking over my shoulder and making sure I'm not making a mistake. It's just so easy to ferment versus the canning. So that's my preservation of choice. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, in that same vein, you know, when you said to have help, it's so much more work. You've got yes. to sterilize all the equipment and it's hotter. You know, you've got all yeah. these steaming hot things and everything has to be and done. it's August. And, <laughs> exactly. And you're using so much fuel. Whereas you take those same green beans and you put them in their jars and you pour that brine over them and you put the lid on it part way so that they can breathe and you know a week later you've got pickled green beans and there's no heat there's no fuels like depending on where you're coming at this if you're really trying to use less energy like it makes more sense if you're trying to yeah. you know have a more nutrient dense product it makes more sense and if you're trying not to sweat in August it makes more sense right I loved 
canning back in the day. And now I, you know, I still can eat new jams and things because sugar just wants to become alcohol. And you can make some wonderful fermented fruits, but they're they're really different if you just want some jam. But for the most part, yeah, there's no vegetables canned here anymore. Yeah. And like you come in from the garden and you've got, you know, this whole bunch of stuff and you can just put up a jar of carrots to ferment or like you said, green beans. And it's just like, you're talking like 10 minutes. You're not talking about setting aside a day. Fermentation for the win. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, even <laughs> cucumbers, like, like cucumbers in the garden, you know, you might get five one day and you might get 10 the next day. But if you're going to do a canning project, you really do have to kind of wait till you have a certain quantity, right? Because you can't just put up one jar of canned pickles. I mean, you can, but it's a lot of work. You might as well have at least six jars or something like that. But to your point, when it's cucumber season, I come up from the garden. I don't even put the cucumbers in the fridge. I just fill my jar with my pickling spices and some garlic and, you know, some dill heads or cilantro heads or whatever I'm doing and put them in there, pour the brine over the top. And I might have four or five jars on the counter at different phases, you know, and then on day four, I put that lid on tight, make sure the brine's topped off and put them in the fridge and I'm done. And so there's no, like some of them are starting to get a little soft while we're waiting for some more, you know, just, yeah, it's all oh, yeah. just fast. <laughs> Do you use the trick of putting a little something with tannic acid on the top of the jar, like a grape leaf or a tea bag or use that trick? I do. I love grape leaves because they mm -hmm. not only give you the tannic acid, they help just keep all the little spices and everything that wants to kind of float on top of the brine all under it. Yeah. So even if the frost got your grapes in the spring, you still got everything you need for your fermentation jars. <laughs> that does happen. Now I even will lactic ferment grape leaves so that I have those for off-season fermentation or for making dolmas. Oh, nice. <laughs> making dolmas. Mm. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, well, you can just ferment them. You can lacto-ferment the leaves, and then you can make it now, this time of year. <laughs> and another thing I've heard, you know, since cucumbers kind of get mushy more quickly than a lot of this stuff, to not include the blossom end of the cucumber. That is key. Yes, it's a really important thing. Some people, they cut them off, but I do like my cucumber pickles to be whole. So I just get in there with, you know, the edge of my fingernail and make sure that when I'm washing it, I scrape that blossom end because what's in there, there's, remember our enzyme conversation, <laughs> there's little enzymes in there that are just all about softening it because the vegetable's goal isn't to be a pickle it's to grow become seeds soften and you know get those seeds in the ground <laughs> so that blossom in mm. is full of enzymes that are going to break that down and so getting that off is huge yeah listeners you hear so often uh oh but my cucumbers were so mushy so there's your trick right there that and salt I do pretty low salt in most of my fermentation, but pickles, I do stick to that higher percentage, um, three to 5% in the brine. And the reason is, is that salt hardens the cell walls and the pectins. It's gonna help you keep your crisp. It helps control the fermentation. It slows it down because during cucumber season, right? It's hot. <laughs> so yeah. it's gonna help slow it down and make sure that those microbes 
move at a pace that keeps everything nicely crunchy and intact. So that's the other trick. And interestingly on blossom ends, so those of you that are gardeners, that doesn't go for all blossoms. I will do the tiny zucchini with an open blossoms on there and pickle a whole jar of those and and they're really wonderful they don't last without getting soft for you know more than four or five months but they do last and it and picking all those off you know will slow down that zucchini onslaught later in the season when you're ready to <laughs> not oh. have so many you can pickle a jar or two of them for a little bit later eating when you want to see a zucchini again i love zucchini blossoms yeah me too my favorite thing is like ricotta filled zucchini blossoms then you fry it Ooh, so good i did try doing just the large blossoms for that very purpose to see if I could, but they didn't hold their structure well enough. It wasn't worth it. But if you do the little zucchini, you know, the four or five inches, and actually even if the blossoms opened and closed again, it seems to be still tasty. That makes me think, do you have a favorite one? Favorite, favorite ferment? ferment? Yeah. Oh dear. Well, my favorite ferment at the time being is not what we've been talking about at all, but it's natto. It's a Japanese traditional ferment. It's not using lactobacillus. It's going the other way. So our vegetable ferments and the vinegar we talked about acidifies and it preserves through acidification. And this is a ferment that is on soybeans and it gives them, for lack of a better word, kind of a slimy, viscous consistency and it alkalizes it. So it's going to start to smell like a common bear cheese or something like that. For the Western palate, it's got these filaments, these strings. Um, I like to tell people, well, we like string, stringy, melty cheese. So it's not that different, but it kind of is. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's, it's such an amazing superfood. And it's so healthy. Um, it's the highest thing we have in K2, which we need for vitamin D. Guys too, but especially women uh, with osteoporosis, it will stop it in its tracks because it's so high in K2. So it oh, wow. leaves the calcium in your bones and keeps it out of your blood. So it's just one of these amazing foods. And the interesting thing is, you know, I didn't like it, but our cravings don't come from us. They come from the microbes yeah. down below. And so my microbes are all about it now. Wow. I'm um, sort of in a similar vein to that question, mom. Do you have like a ferment or something that you recommend for someone who's maybe listening and has never really fermented anything before, might be intimidated? What's a good place to start? Yeah, gateway ferment, right? Well, like Mary said, kefir for some people is a wonderful gateway ferment or yogurt or something like that. But as far as the other ferments, I would say a vegetable lactic fermentation is really simple. There's less places that it might not succeed. Carrots and some brine is wonderful. If cabbage works really well. I mean, there's a reason why so many cultures have a variation of fermented cabbage, you know, so it's a really easy yeah. ferment to get started. But if you don't like sauerkraut, then carrots and a brine are another really simple ferment to get started. For some people, a gateway ferment is kombucha. I'm not a huge kombucha drinker, so for me it's not. <laughs> but, you know, it's where you really like the flavors and so you're excited to explore down that path, I think, yeah. too. Your earliest book is just kind of a basic introduction to fermentation, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's, it's sort of everything you'd want to know to do vegetables. And I think that the big thing when that came out now, I think people aren't confused that you can do any vegetable, but 
Before that, people were really just doing sauerkraut and carrots and, you know, onions and maybe a few other things. And until I myself understood the science, which is lactobacillus are the little microbes. They're on all vegetables and they want to eat the vegetable, right? They want to consume it. And so I like to say they're equal opportunity vegetable eaters, you know. <laughs> when I was first experimenting, I'd look up parsnip. Wouldn't find anything on the internet about parsnip fermentation. And it, it was like, well, it doesn't say it's going to kill me. And it's like, well, turns out none will, you know. So I think that yeah, was yeah. the big deal with that book is it goes from A to Z. And it really came off of teaching a lot of people in our farm kitchen and taking their questions. And so on the back, there's even like, this is what scum looks like and mm. trying to help people just make it easy, make it second nature, intuitive. That's for me, I think the goal of any of my books is that it becomes intuitive and not scary. We love to ask this question to all of our guests and feel free to have creative liberty with this one, but what does the good dirt mean to you? And that can be literally or metaphorically. Yeah. I'm so interested in soils and soil building and how carbon sequestration and, you know, regenerative agriculture and changing how we use soils on a large scale. I mean, a lot of people are doing this in their gardens, just trying to soil build, but on a large mm -hmm. scale, this could be huge. So <laughs> I'm afraid I'm not very creative. I really do think <laughs> dirt is the answer, you yeah, know, dirt. Yeah. dirt is the answer. And, and, and then the microbial life in dirt is just incredible. And those are the guys in this good dirt that, that we do need to foster. Sometimes you'll go past places where agricultural is, things are being done and you'll see them, you know, with a big plastic over it and then fumigating and trying to kill microbes the whole way down. And you're, yeah. those microbes are going to help your little plants grow. I think the good dirt is rebuilding it and letting those microbes have at it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so Kirsten, what is it that you most want people to understand about what you do? What is something you would like to leave our listeners with as we close out? It gets back to not being afraid of mm -hmm. these foods. There are microbes for sure that aren't good for us, but not being afraid of the safe practice of fermentation and really enjoying all the benefits it can bring to you, whether it's you know, preserving a little bit of your local harvest, whether it's, you know, using some scraps that would have gone otherwise into the garbage and, and making a new food, whether it's composting or, or just any of these pieces and then discovering those flavors. So just don't be afraid and you've got this. You can't kill your friends and family with this. And <laughs> if anything, you're going to make them healthier. So, you know, this isn't a good option for the neighbor you don't like. <laughs> don't. <laughs> or maybe it'll help their mind microbiome and make them nicer. I, you know, I completely <laughs> agree with that because we do know we haven't even gone there, but the microbe mind gut connection is huge. And yes. having a healthy microbiome does make us happier. And that is just proven over and over again. And even hope. I mean, there's this one study that really illustrates it. They put mice with a healthy microbiome in a tank of water and they just kept swimming and swimming assuming that they would make it to land eventually and and the mice without the healthy microbiomes gave up they quit swimming they didn't oh. 
Whoa. I feel like, especially as we're still kind of in this COVID universe. Water tank of a year. <laughs> <laughs> this water tank. Of a year. No sign of shore. <laughs> right. And, and there are, you know, I mean, we all know people who are just thriving. And we also all know people who are just struggling, like not just, I mean, the financial piece, and there's so many levels, right? But not just that, mm -hmm. but just what's going on for them, you know, in their heads and their hearts, and whether that's all microbiome related or not, like that's not the point, but we're in that space. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. we do need all the help we can get. So I do agree, the, the healthier our guts are, the better decisions we can make, the happier we can feel. <laughs> I believe it so much. And uh, I think science is sort of bearing that out more and more every day as they find out, like you were saying, they're discovering so much more about this all the time. And um, so I think you're a, you're a pioneer, Kirsten. It was really fun having you on today and talking to you about all these wonderful things. As Emma says, it's kind of my jam. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was delightful. Thank you, guys. Wow. Thank you, Kirsten. I love all this stuff so much. I uh, can't wait to get back down there and get back into my sourdough and my kefir and my vat. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like all your little friends. Yes, all your quarantine my friends. billions and billions of friends. <laughs> and they are friends. They are totally friends. <laughs> Uh, they're so life-giving. Yes. Um, yeah. And just a review from like all of the information we threw at you in the intro here, we have a kefir workshop coming up on May 19th. Join us free for Almanac members. All you have to do is RSVP at the event within the Almanac. $15 for everyone else. And we have a pop-up in the online marketplace coming up with all of your, my mom's wonderful, beautiful indigo dyed products and a few other fun surprises. And then we have a natural dye workshop coming up in June. It's actually an intensive. It'll be, it'll be kind of a longer form workshop. Um, and we're also really excited about that. So stay tuned. And yeah, if you're just now finding us, welcome. This is lady farmer. Uh, mother-daughter team and we are here every Friday exploring all kinds of fun things in the realm of slow and sustainable living and we're just so glad you're here follow us at we are lady farmer make sure you're signed up for our newsletter and if you enjoyed this episode share it with a friend and we hope to see you next week and thanks again so much to plain products for sponsoring this episode and being our partner on the good dirt Yes, this is so much fun, y'all. Thanks for being here. you like listening to the good dirt i hope you do because you're here listening to it and are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast well we're so excited to offer the almanac it's our private slow living community network where we share workshops activities articles essays recipes and so much more that align with our community's sustainable slow seasonal way of living 
As a member, you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings. Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round, numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including the Slow Living Retreat. As a Good Dirt listener, we are excited to offer you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com community to sign up with this special offer just for Good Dirt listeners. Yay! That's ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac or three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com slash community. 